As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit, gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. Spit the Spit Podcast. Scott Bass, David Lee Scales, with you on this Wednesday morning. We took a day off due to the Memorial Day weekend. And uh, good morning, David. Good morning, Scott. Good to see you. What's in uh, What's in the mug? Oh, got the oolong. No, it's it's decaf and calf mixed. Coffee. With- yeah. Oh, look at you, man. Yeah. Back on the coffee bandwagon. Why do you mix it with half-calf? Because I've already had <clears> – this is my second cup, and I'm dangerous on one cup, let alone two cups of caffeinated coffee. Dang. The other night, uh, two nights ago, I drank like a quadruple shot of espresso at 5 p.m. in the afternoon – I had one and it was amazing. And so then I went back and got another one. And uh, at about 11 o'clock at night, I was climbing up the walls. It was a complete nightmare. Terrible decision. Yeah, we used to be able to pull that off when we were younger. Like I could drink coffee in the middle of the day and and no problem, but uh, not these days. There's a drink. There was a coffee chain called the panic and it's actually still down here i think there's one in lacadia but they used to be all over the place yeah so there was a panicin in del mar and there used to be a drink called the keith richards which was five of those espresso shots that you had oh my gosh all in one and um and i attempt i drank it one time and it was seriously not a healthy drink like I, I can't believe they didn't get sued for having that drink on, <laughs> on the screen. Dude, why do we become such delicate beings? You would think we'd build up kind of tolerance to these things over age, but it's weird. It just affects you so much differently later in life. It really does, you know, and I, I don't know what, I just don't sleep as well as I used to sleep as I get older. Well, nothing a quick downer can't uh, fix. I immediately at eleven o'clock at eleven o'clock took Nyquil. Actually, uh, Nyquil makes a product called Zquil, which is just the sleep component, none of the medicine component, and that thing works like a charm. So at eleven, I popped a couple of those and slept beautifully throughout the night. So there you go. Uh, quite a body cocktail you got going there. Yep, uppers and then downers. Um, why are we doing this show at eight a.m.? What do you got? You got a busy day lined up? I do. Yeah. I, the, the sad truth is I want to go surfing after this show and I'm waiting for the tide to turn. You bastard. (laughs) And if we did it at nine, I wouldn't get out there till it gets, you know, onshore wind picks up. So see, I wanted to do it at nine so that I could go surf beforehand. Oh, well you sent me a text that said you're good from nine o'clock onward. (laughs) Yeah, so that, exactly. So I can go means, surf in the morning. Well, that means you can surf when I surf at 9 a.m. when the tide turns. You mean when I need to work? I want to have a full work day lined up ahead? Oh. I can't surf and podcast and work all in one day. That's a full day. Um, hey, speaking of days, do you, this is a super important day in history, May 27th. Do you have any idea what this day commemorates? No, I don't. 
On this day in 1963, Freewheeling Bob Dylan was released to the public. Oh, okay. Sounds like we have our going out song all picked out. We could. We certainly could. I mean, that's there's a lot to select from that album. Uh, Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, Oxford Town. Uh, seminal album, some might say, from Dylan. Well, you know, my feelings about Bob Dylan is, first of all, I think I've told you this before, but I dare you to go find some YouTube clips of of um, the barber from the Andy Griffith show, Floyd, Floyd the Barber yes. from the Andy Griffith show. And yes. listen, listen to him talk to Andy Griffith. And this is what Bob Dylan sounds like when he sings. He sounds like Floyd the Barber. All right. I'll, you have told me this. I did not look it up last time. I'm making myself a note right now. Yes. Um, at a, I mean, it's an unconventional singing voice, but are you a fan? Well, it's funny. Um, just the other day, I was talking to my neighbor about this. And I think I've told you that we maybe have discussed this, but you cannot not be a fan of Bob Dylan if you're a fan of, you know, name them, you know, Tom Petty, um, all of these, you know, the Beatles, George Harrison, all of these, basically every person in rock and roll, who's who of lyricists and poets and musicians all bow down to Bob Dylan. So you, you sort of have to bow down to Bob Dylan by default. Now I've never purchased a Bob Dylan album. I do like a lot of his songs. I've played them on the guitar. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. Fair enough. So you have to bow down to him as a singer songwriter, mainly as a songwriter. I think that's where everybody, you know, where nobody can really take umbrage, but you don't have to like his music. You don't have to like the way that he puts it to melody and sings it. You know, that that's where people definitely have a lot of criticism, but I'm a huge fan. Um, Netflix just added the Martin Scorsese documentary that you and I discussed a couple of years ago. It's called No Direction Home. It's like three and a half hour long and um, only really brings you up to the part in his career where he's like really rocking out on electric guitar. So it doesn't even cover his full career, not even close, but it's still really, really good and uh, tells a lot of obviously his early life and it's made by Martin Scorsese. So how about that? They just added that on Netflix. So anybody that wants to check that out, well worth watching. All right. Fair enough. Um, how did you spend your Memorial day? Um, gosh, I think I played golf with my dad. Yeah, I did. I played golf. Golf golf courses are open down there? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was good. Little father-son time? Yeah. Yeah, it was good. For sure. Good. Does your son play? He does. Actually, my son and my daughter both play. We all played together. It was a family outing. Amazing. Of, of golf. Yeah, it was cool. Amazing. Yeah, they're both um, really good golfers. For people outside the U.S., Memorial Day is obviously a holiday where uh, in America we mourn military personnel, those who died while serving in the U.S. Armed Forces. Did you or do you have any family members in the military, any relatives, ancestors? Yeah, I have a whole bunch. I have do a whole you? bunch. Yeah. So my dad flew 
F4s and F100s in the Vietnam War. Holy my God. brother, my oldest brother flew the very first sortie during um, Desert Storm, number what? one. The yeah. very first? Yeah, they flew B-52s from Diego Garcia and and dropped the first bombs. Wild. Super top secret mission. Yeah. And then I have I have relatives, I mean my grandfathers, you know, I've got relatives all over the place that are in the military. Uh did you ever consider going in? They would not have me, David. <laughs> <laughs> At the age that I was eligible to join the military, they're like, dude, we'll take the lowest of the low, but you're kind of. <laughs> you don't make the cut? No, no. What was their biggest, what was their biggest concern? No, I never tried. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't think they would have had me. Um, did your parents, did your family expect you, considering the legacy, did your family expect you to go in or was there any no. desire? There wasn't. There wasn't. <laughs> Expectations are pretty low. <laughs> Man, there's so much not being said. I know there is. And, and can I'm we get gonna, your, can we get your dad it. on the mic? I'm not going to say it. It's all quite personal. Um, how different, dude, first of all, clearly I have never been in the military. That goes without saying. Um, and I am so grateful that I never had to. And I remember in high school, like kind of looking at my options, leaving high school and I had one friend who was like gung ho to, you know, get in the military and he had it all lined up. And I thought to myself, thank God that there are people like him in our country so that I don't have to do it. And um, I haven't actually kept in contact with that guy. I'm curious what he's up to now. But I mean, it's obviously a necessary thing. And if, you know, if we were in like when we used to have the draft, like if I was forced to go into it. I would completely, it'd be a nightmare. It'd be terrible for the military. They would not get a great performer out of me and it would traumatize me for the rest of my, it's, I'm just not equipped for it. You know what I mean? So hopefully they would uh, station or position me in such a role that was actually of use. But the idea of like, if it's wartime and all of our 18 year olds get sent off, like, it's insane to think about that. And my younger brother actually is in the military and he's stationed in Italy right now. And so I went to visit him in the fall and just walking around the base and kind of recognize walking around the base as a 38 year old and recognizing these are children. These are complete children. And they're all presenting themselves like they're full grown males because that's kind of what they're trained to. And they have all this testosterone and machismo and their chests are puffed out and they're i mean they're for all intents and purposes they're strong enough and athletic enough but you look at their face and you recognize these are children and thankfully they're just going through training and stuff like that where we were at but again putting it in perspective of if we were in wartime and you're shipping those people off to kill is actually really really sad and scary you know yeah, a um, bunch of stuff to unpack there. But first of all, I think that the military is a really excellent option for young people. And I'll tell you why. Totally. You're going to get free education. You're guaranteed a job when you get out. 
when you're 18, you're like, oh shit, 20 years, but 20 years flies by. I know yeah. a lot of guys that are 42 years old and are retired. Totally. Getting a pension for the rest of their life. <laughs> Healthcare is covered. And there's some other really smart ones that had their, I know guys that had their, um, you know, their upper like graduate level studies paid for, like guys that are dentists now think that it was paid completely by the military. So you smart. Know, it's actually a pretty smart play. And the concept of, I'm not a military strategist or anything, but I think that the concept of boots on the ground is it's further away than it's ever been as far as, you know, war strategy these days. I mean, totally. you know, we're long gone from, you know, the Korean war or even the Vietnam war where we're like, Oh, let's send in 500,000 troops. You know, there's hand to hand combat. Yeah. We, there's so much better technology these days. So I actually think, going into the military and plus from a surfing standpoint, it's kind of a good play. Like if you can go coast guard or you can go Navy, you're going to be stationed somewhere. In fact, Christian Beamish did this. You're going to be stationed somewhere near, you're probably going to be stationed somewhere near a coast at least, you know? And yeah, I mean, you know, you got to eat a shit sandwich sometime. You might as well do it while on the other side of the equation, you're getting a lot of benefit. Well, building kind of a foundation for the rest of your life is the smartest thing rather than trying to make up lost time later in life. So you're absolutely right. It's a great option. And I think if we could, not that there's kids listening, but if we can bestow any truth or advice to the youth, that's exactly what it is, is dude, 20 years goes by in a flash. Five years goes by in a flash. Make small incremental investments early on that will reap kind of exponential reward later in life. And it seems if you come out of high school, four years to you felt like an eternity. It's absolutely not an eternity. It'll be over in the flash of an eye. So yeah, good investment for sure. Yeah. And especially now with this COVID thing and with colleges, like getting your undergraduate degree and having to do it maybe online or at least a couple of years, it just, it seems like the college degree is worth less and less and less. I, I think it's important to get one, you know, to like to kind of wave your communications or your philosophy degree at, at the HR department. Nobody gives a shit. None of those people are even no. looking. No. They only care about your upper division, upper, you know, your graduate level degrees, really. Totally. And, and, and the other thing that you mentioned is these young 18-year-olds walking around the base makes me think of the Civil War. And how, you know, life expectancy then was probably 52 or 55 years old or whatever. An 18-year-old is almost halfway done with his life. And there's a great book that you should read that you would enjoy. It's called Killer Angels. And it's about the Civil War. It's the best Civil War book I've ever read. And I read a lot of Civil War stuff. And it's by Michael Shahara, S-H-A-A-R-A. Killer Angels. It's actually one of three that he wrote. And um, it's just a, it's so well written. And it's from hmm. the, so the, it's from the viewpoint of all the sold, the different soldiers on both sides. It's really fascinating. Hmm. But it makes you realize how 18 years old back then you were, you were growing up, whether you liked it or not. Even though, as you know, our frontal cortex as young men isn't developed until we're 25. That's the decision-making process of the brain area of the brain. So, you know, some would argue mine's still being developed and or stopped being developed. Yep. <laughs> Again, let's chat with your dad. Get him on the mics. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Anyways, uh, that was our Memorial Day tribute. Shout out. 
to all those who have served and those who are lost for sure. Yeah. So, um, David, a world record was broken. Did okay. you know this? Yeah. A world record. This is kind of a, a weird segue from your May 27th, Bob Dylan thing. Okay. A world record was broken a few days ago. I'm not sure if you saw this, the world's largest mass arrest of surfers took place. I did not see this. 22 surfers were arrested in one big swoop, one big dragnet, if you will. 30 minutes south of San Diego, across the Mexican border. Oh, wow. At kilometer 43, just south of K38, 22 surfers arrested at once. Now, in Mexico, due to the COVID-19 dealio, which their lockdown is running through May 30th, a couple of days from now, all public places are closed, including beaches. And of course, that means no surfing. So masked cops and soldiers waited for this pack of local Mexican surfers. They arrested them, they photographed them, and then they drove them off to jail in the back of a police pickup. This is according to the reports from a local newspaper down there. And I quote, because they were surfing in the area, end quote. Now, a police official, Francisco Ariano Ortiz, the head of the Secretariat of Citizen Security of Rosarito, mentioned that, quote, these people were detained for not complying with the instructions of the agents as it is prohibited to carry out any activity on the beach. Now, the San Diego Reader, which is a local newspaper down here, spoke to a surf shop owner in Ensenada who said that each of the surfers was fined between 35 to 150 United States dollars. And he suggested that, look, the, because of the lockdown down there, police aren't making their normal amounts of revenue and income, i.e. from maybe you know pulling you over for speeding or running a stop sign when you weren't and then taking a bribe. So he's suggesting that the cops are looking for ways to generate money and perhaps surfers are just an easy target. I did see this story and I didn't realize that it was a world record. Um, <laughs> are you just making that part up or is this, well, going, Derek, to the, is this going to the Den Guinness Book of World Records? That Derek Riley threw that in there. I grabbed this from uh, Beach Oh, okay. I, I thought it was clever because I'm sure that it's, yeah. it's got to be true. I mean, have there ever been more than 22 surfers arrested at once for surfing? Doubt no, it. I doubt it too. Um, so I've been getting a bunch of correspondence from a buddy who lives down there and wasn't sure when we, like, I want to have him on the podcast actually to talk about the situation, but he, um, he owns businesses in Baja and then he has an essential business in San Diego. And so he lives, um, he splits his time between the two and I guess they are restricting border crossings, but if you have a, an essential business back in the U.S., he's able to travel through pretty easily. Ultimately, it's a ghost town down there. And if you're a surfer and you live or have access, there are, there's been really good waves that are completely empty right now. I mean, emptier than they've been for 30 or 40 years probably. Yeah, yeah. But you're definitely subject to getting arrested. And I, I mean, in that story, those are locals that are getting arrested. That's not as if they're tourists being shaken down. So there's a lot of peril that comes with it, but less peril than, I mean, most of the Baja stories that we've heard from the last 20 years, right? I mean, the, 
the reasons why you want to go to Baja 10 and 15 years ago were cartel related and um, much more ominous ending to them. This, I feel like, I certainly don't want to recommend that anybody goes and puts themselves at risk. But if you have access to Baja or your family owns a home down there or whatever, now might be the ultimate time to go. The other thing that my buddy was saying was that if you do have a home down there, you still have to, like they're very much limiting the amount of time that you can spend outside your home. So they, I, I'm not sure how they regulate it, but like only once a day grocery store runs or restaurants, food has to be delivered or something along those lines. So it's not nearly as open as Southern California is, but it got my, it got my mind, you know, my wheels spinning about how to pull off a Baja trip safely at this point. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting because, um, you know, it's been suggested that demographically maybe they're more challenged. Um, as far as the COVID-19 thing, you know, what do you mean demographically? Well, I don't, I'm, I'm tiptoeing around this a little bit because this sort of comes from Derek Riley as well. But the idea that, that perhaps they're more overweight, there's more oh, obesity. Yeah. They're not, they don't eat as healthy. And again, For sure that's an issue. Kind of a generalization, but well, let, the COVID-19 could be spreading down there at a much, like it, it, it could be argued that that's a hot spot. And I think if, if you simply look at the local town here right across the border in San Diego and Chula Vista, that's where most of our cases are. Yeah, totally. And I, I doubt that they have high quality testing, you know, all of the stuff that we have up here. I, I doubt that it's of the same, you know, for sure. No, that's a, and quality. That's a real concern. The New York times did a podcast on, um, how COVID's affecting the African-American community, you know, much more significantly uh, than the general public. So like in the town, I think they were in somewhere in Louisiana, but the town that they um, were doing the story on, it was like, you know, 19% African-American population, but the incidence of COVID was like 43% of COVID cases were African-American. And that statistic seems to be true throughout the, uh, the U.S. And as you dig in further, it's also related to um, income level, essentially. You know, if you're of lower income and you don't have access to as much good recreational, food. good food, certainly good nutrition, good diet, but also recreational exercise, fresh air, all that sort of stuff. You're working two or three jobs and then you're yeah eating really poorly you are definitely uh, more subject to the virus or to the harmful kind of version of the virus, the more, I don't know. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's a real concern. And that's certainly a concern in Baja too. That and their healthcare system obviously isn't nearly as robust and accessible as ours. So yeah, that would definitely be something to be concerned about. Let me ask you this, when they do open up the border kind of free and clear, would your, if you had to choose, let's say this is a year and a half from now, two years from now, would you pick a surf trip to Palm Springs to surf the Palm Springs Surf Club or Baja? Which would be your first trip? They're both equal distance. Are they both open to the... Yes. Like there's no threat of getting arrested? Correct. We're saying two years from now. Well, it depends. Like if, if you're saying, can I get on a plane and fly to Cabo? 
because it's only an hour and 40 minutes from here. It's just same distance as it is to Palm Springs. Wow. Okay. That's a, I didn't consider that option, but no, this option is road trip to Baja road trip to Palm Springs. <laughs> I'm going to sound kind of soft. Palm but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my heart's telling me I'm going to go check out Palm Springs. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what you're, you're gonna pick it too. I know you are. Hey, you're not core enough, Scott. Oh, speaking of that, I, we got yeah. a letter about being hardcore. Let me read it here, if you don't oh, mind. God. No, I'd love it. I got one too, actually. Um, our friend Greg, who's a longtime listener, said, "Hey, David Scott, you know what? Screw the people that think they're hardcore. I remember those days." where attitude was an important part of being a surfer. But come on, I think we have matured some. There's no longer one stereotypical type of surfer. And we are free to recreate and be who we are. So wear your booties with a spring suit, damn it. The best surfer out in the lineup is the one having the most fun. Cheers, Greg. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate Greg having my back, but I disagree with him. It's fun to make fun of other people. Like, <laughs> Here's the real deal. I totally don't mind not being called not core it's fun to make fun of other people and that just means that we're buddies in high school did you not make fun of your your friends more than your enemies or anybody else the the fact that we're able to poke fun at somebody riding a longboard or a mid-length or whatever else is an indicator that they're brethren and it's an honor so i'm i'm it's all in jest all right fair enough i I would argue that we're not in high school anymore. So <laughs> maybe maybe move away from that. But don't you right. wish you were though? Those are the glory days, Scott. I know they were. Think about it. Um all right. So Baja, you're not feeling so hot on yet. No. No, I've I've kind of been off Baja for a long time, actually. Local Baja at least. Why? Uh just the traffic. It's I don't know. The, it's mostly just dealing with the border, getting through the border. Yeah. If you have a century pass, you're laughing. I got but a century pass. Everyone in your car has to have the century pass. It can't just be you. So that means you're going by yourself. No, they, so the way I did it last time was uh, get in the century lane and drop those people off. Uh, and they just walk across and they uh, get through, they get through in the same amount of time that I got through, which is five minutes. So the previous, the previous trip that I did, I was honestly in the border, I think the borderline for like seven hours. So the difference between the century pass and not is seven hours versus five minutes. Huh? I thought, yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Walking across makes sense. I just knew that if you're going to drive across with people in your car, they all have to have the century pass. So yeah, yeah. that is true. So when you get in that century lane, do the people just pile out of your car all super suspicious, yeah. like they're loaded up with mule drugs and <laughs> no, it's not suspicious at all. It's they uh, have like a little designation area for it. Oh. So you just kind of pull over to the curb. They jump out, walk across. They go through their own security process, obviously. Yeah. Right, right. But yeah, yeah, it's common. Oh. Um, all right. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, there was other late breaking news last night, right before my head hit the pillow. Actually, I should just text it to you because I want you to be able to see this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our good buddy and CEO of the WSL, Eric Logan, got his very first barrel yesterday and made it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see this? 
<laughs> no, I did not see this. No. Um, I just sent the text, so it'll take a second to come through because it's a video. Eric Logan at Surf Ranch in a short John wetsuit, getting a backside barrel and making it out. Wow. Is he on a stand-up paddleboard? He's on, no, he's not on a stand-up. He's on something uh, relatively short, but super bulky. And um, it's the stagnant view. What are you distracted by over there? I feel like you're looking uh, away I'm, the entire I'm time. I'm looking at my security camera. Oh, something. Do you want to take a break? No, no, we're good. Okay, cool. Did that text come through? Yeah, I just got it. All right, talk us through the ride. Okay, I'm clicking on it. Okay, Eric's Eric's got an interesting stance. He's dragging his arm. He's getting a kind of a sick one. <laughs> okay, the wipeout's the best thing ever. It's really hard to describe to the viewers what just happened, but it was a legit tube, and I can see why he's excited. It's and, an adaptive uh, stance, though. Yeah, it's an interesting stance. It looks like something like Jamie O'Brien would do, kind of almost parallel stance at pipe or something. Okay, great call. So the beginning of the wave, he is parallel stance. And then it seems like to kind of crunch into kind of a tube position, he completely drops his back knee flat. So he's essentially then sitting on that leg. And by the time he comes out of the tube, he's sitting down entirely oh uh, like a kneeboard, a kneeboard stance essentially. But there is one adjustment that he makes in the tube that is pretty impressive <laughs> it's pretty i'm pretty stoked for him man good How for we, him so honestly as critical as i was being throughout each nanosecond of watching as soon as he comes out and shows how much stoke he has all of my criticism got washed away and i was happy for him well i don't need to state the obvious do i david go for it because <laughs> i don't mean to be like <laughs> surfers are the worst what I think he's got better ways at the surf ranch than you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do need to state the obvious. That was my first thought too, is pure jealousy. <laughs> oh my God. He got out surfed by Eric Logan. Dude, I totally did. I'm sorry, but I call, like okay. I said, I'm not trying I to call, throw shade on you here. I'm just stating what happened. First of all, I would like to argue. <laughs> I only got four waves. That's probably Logan's. I don't know. Sixth. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. Can we petition for a surf off then? Yes, we need to do that. You versus Eric Logan at the surf ranch. Let's I think it would be epic. I'll be the judge. Perfect. Or I could be one of them. Maybe we bring in somebody else. That's they need to be. You like judge le it. Legit you objective though. Like I'll be objective about it. You know. You judge it. We stream it for listeners. It's gotta happen. It's gotta happen. David Scales versus Eric Logan. We need a name for this. We need like, um, we need a marketing uh, name here. This is going to be like, you know, you know, like something in Lamore. What rhymes with Lamore? Like the, um, like the, you know, like the duel in Lamore or the duel in the desert. Maybe it's the duel in the desert, you know, or like something yeah. like that. Right. The duel in the desert. I'm something along those lines. We got to wrap our heads around a marketing thing, you know, UFC type marketing thing. I'm going to start training right now. Um, Absolutely. So let me ask you this though. E this the title that I pitched this segment with was like Elo got his first barrel. 
Yeah. Yeah. Does, okay. Is he claiming this as his first or are you claiming this as his I'm, first? I'm claiming it, but now I'm going to ask you, is that a fair title? Because A, it's in a wave pool. B, he comes out sitting down. Does this qualify? <laughs> wow, you're getting pretty hypercritical here. Does this qualify? I think, I definitely think it does. I think he came out, he completed the ride. His fall down was as much out of elation and joy and just kind of, it was his claim. That was like, that was the ultimate ELO claim right there. He just kind of like, he, he like, he self-imploded on the shoulder. Well, also, could you get out, could you stand up out of that sitting position? <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> he would have broken ankle. <laughs> it's a definitely completed ride in my opinion. There's, like, there's no doubt there's, about it. So it's absolutely. And it is a barrel. I mean, it's. A, and it's that, clean. He, that wave, I that wave's, that left is, both of those waves are super fun barrel. Like you get an incredible vision from those tubes. It's a super clean ride. Um, he absolutely makes the wave, no doubt. Here's the one caveat is, um, I guess this isn't so much of a caveat, but like when you get barreled in the ocean and you've worked years and years and years and years to find yourself in, first of all, to build the uh, skill set to put yourself into the situation, then to actually make one because you don't make a thousand until you make the one. All of those things aligning are so, that is where the magic is. It's paddling out that day, not knowing or seeing a few waves barrel and like wondering if and working your way up and for all those elements to align is what makes it so special. So I know that Elo's also been watching that wave forever and building up his talent, his skill set, And so he's kind of ultimately building to the same thing. But I'm going to argue that the degree of elation that a young David Scales got in Newport Beach when he got his first barrel <laughs> is an order of magnitude greater than Elo, you know, uh, you know, I don't know I mean, about that. I'll tell you why I know, you know where you're I'm going, sure but I'm saying it, I'm not sure either because, because as what's that acronym they use on beach grid Val, what does that stand for again? Vulnerable adult learner. Right. So it could be argued that Eric's an adult learner, right? I think he is. I don't think he started till he He's was probably. Yeah. So I think it's much easier. Like I see 12 year old, 10 year old kids just getting piped out of their brain because they've been surfing since they were eight. And, and so like any sport, if you take it up later in life, it's much more difficult. Yeah. And I, I think that that needs to be weighed into the equation here that he started much later in life. And so for him to, to get a solid covered barrel yeah, as an adult learner, I think is, adds more weight to the credibility of his tube. It's a great point. The other thing is he is so um, exuberant. Like he's so happy. And I mean, I think he is in kind of his he day is. to day. Yeah. He's a generally optimistic person. And also just giddy, like a giddy kind of joy to him. So there's an element of that, that uh, I think allows him to experience the intensity of it at a degree that, my cynical worldview won't allow, you know, I just don't have those high highs nor low, low. I mean, I'm just more even keel, but I want to feel that level of stoke that he felt when he got out of that wave, him coming out of that wave and that claim. I was like, dude, I know you're going to make my morning. Forgiven. Totally. Yeah. totally. I've always thought that was one of Eric's greatest qualities is he has a sincere um, love for, for surfing and it shows like he, you know, he's like the opposite of Sophie. You know what I mean? Like he's like, 
he'd be surfing even if he wasn't involved in the WSL. You know what I mean? Like he's into it. And that's cool. No, for sure. For sure. Um, Tony Hawk was also there over Memorial Day weekend. And WSL posted a video of him getting barreled and landing a straight air when he comes out of the barrel on the left. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like a... He's a goofy foot, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And kind of goofy. Uh, he's, he's got a little bit of a goofy style. Yeah. For sure. Goofy style. I mean, first of all, if you're six foot, whatever, it's tough to have good style. And when you're yeah. that lanky, but um, he fully gets barreled and like, actually it's even kind of better than Elo's in that he kind of has to make an adjustment. Like it's deep. And then the thing starts rifling off and he actually makes an adjustment and comes out of it. But yeah, then goes straight into an air it's like an all, it's not a chop hop, but it's an ollie kind of off the lip, like yeah, just like, a straight air credit right. card. Like he kind of D weights. Yeah. But I mean, he's a skateboarder. He, it looks like he's on a skateboard kind of when he does it, yeah. but still pretty cool. And very kind of bravo, cool. bravo to Tony Hawk. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause he's, he's probably, I bet he's getting close to 50. I think so too. Yeah. Um, well, kind of a perfect segue into a, something that I wanted to ask you about. People love hearing about your surfboards. And we talked about fins as we were going out of last show. So I do want to talk a little bit about what we're riding and fins and boards. But I was reading a surfboard uh, write-up on Stab. Yes, I saw this. By Danny Johnson. And you know what was hilarious to me? I had an epiphany right as I started reading it, was that all surfboard reviews – have a line like this. And now I'm quoting what happens when Aladdin starts to get a little chubby over the years and the dimensions of his magic carpet don't seem so magical anymore. <laughs> End quote. So every single surfboard review ever are written by middle-aged dudes who are coming <laughs> to terms with the fact that they can't ride the high performance thruster anymore. And they're trying to figure out how to squeeze in a little extra volume to allow them to rip like they once were. It's one of the greatest conundrums known to man is this, you know, I've got an 18 year old brain that thinks I can still get my WCT on and I'm now 190 instead of 175 and I'm 50 instead of 35. Exactly. I mean, to but, this day, I look, and I, in fact, I was, I was with Jerry Lopez this on, on Monday, on Memorial Day. He was shaping geez. some boards. I went up to say hi to him and pick up some stuff. And there was a, the most beautiful 5'8 Jerry Lopez fish, like a, just a killer fish, like a traditional kind of Steveless fish design. You know what I mean? And it was kind of the last board I'd ever think about when I, the, the Jerry, you know, it's not the type of design that I would think about when I think of Jerry Lopez. And I picked it up and I fell in love with it. And my point is, is that for a moment there, I'm like, yeah, I can ride a 5'8, you know, like it had plenty of, it was pretty full, you know, there was enough volume, I thought. And the reality is I probably need a six, two, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But so that's, that's the conundrum that you speak of, right? Well, was that board for sale? And did I don't even it? know. No, I didn't oh, buy okay. it. But <laughs> I was very, very close to ordering one. And I, I need to sort of pat myself on the back here for not ordering <laughs> one. I kept telling him, I'm like, man, I'd love one of these in a six footer. I was just kept waiting for him to say, let me make you one. I immediately would have said, okay, exactly. but he, he he never took the bait, so I didn't go there. 
Yeah, I have a feeling his um, list of orders to get through is probably pretty full. He's probably deferring orders rather than trying to collect them. Yeah, he I actually I was in his shaping bay and he had orders up to yin yang. Um, well, that's by the way, that's a dude who probably doesn't need more volume. That's a guy who stayed so fit. One of the things, so I've been going through this um, Kauai series of interviews that I've been publishing, and that's one thing that I ask all those guys because it's like Jeff Hackman is still surfing, you know really well. Terry Chung surfing at his peak level. Uh, Billy Hamilton, not at his peak level, but still surfing. Like these guys, how do you do it late into life? And so they all have slightly different advice, all related to diet and exercise. But yeah. what's what's funny is that every surfboard, re- there's no surfboard reviews written by 22 year olds surfing in their peak. They're all written by guys like you and I. And so <laughs> all of us, are promoting boards that have more volume. But yeah. at any rate, um, Danny Johnson in this article interviewed Jason Stevenson of JS Surfboards. And even Jason said, quote, I'm in my late 40s now and I've been surfing since I was five, but I've had nip, uh, hip, knee, back and neck injuries and I've put on weight. Then there's not surfing so much, drinking too much, having kids and just life in general. What 5'10", 90 kg guy doesn't prefer to say that he's 80 kgs? Bigger humans don't want to admit that they're bigger humans. I had knee injuries and I was out for maybe three months and I went from 83 kgs and when I came back, I was 88. Before the injury, I was riding 28 liter boards. Then I came back and I tried to ride the same thing and I thought this board sucks. So I made another board that went to 30 liters and I was still having a horrible time. Then I moved all the way up to 33 liters and I instantly thought I'm back. I'm the shaper and even I got it wrong, end quote. So I thought yeah. that was really full and insightful. Yeah, for sure. Good. That, that was good stuff. And, and, and he kind of nailed it. You know, he nailed it. I, I have problems wrapping my head around liters and stuff. Um, but I, I do look at some, some guys recently got a board that had leaders on it. And I was like, Oh, Oh, it was the Xanadu. I think maybe the Xanadu had only like 33 leaders. And some of my other boards, um, I think the Maurice, one of the Maurice calls I ride that I really like the, the amount of volume had like 36. So I was going down in volume and I was kind of concerned about that. But. Um, when you said, you opened up that sentence by saying you're kind of confused about volume or leaders. Yeah. What I am. Well, kind of the key metric that I think the modern surfer uses young kids coming up. That's the first thing they ask. Yeah. It's, I guess part of my confusion stems from something I saw recently about mayhem, Matt Biolas not getting the, and I'm going to butcher this. I'm not trying to throw Matt under the bus here, but somebody had mentioned that they didn't get cubic liters right. There was a definition that was wrong or something. And and so that made me go, oh, wow, maybe this cubic liter thing, maybe these liter things aren't really all they're cracked up to be. And then I've read some other shapers say, yeah, you know, you just can't put 33 liters. If like, let's say 33 liters is my number. Well, you can't put 33 liters in a 610 if you want a 610 and you normally ride a 510. You know, right. You're going to go up in liters. So what's the point? So I guess it's more wrapped around your every go-to, everyday go-to board. And I again, I just, I'm just more of, you know what I really 
I want I want it to be two and five eighths because I know that I can sink a two and five eighths rail. If it's fuller than that, it's hard for these little chicken legs to keep the rail buried through my extended Tom Curran J Bay bottom turn. Yeah, but <laughs> which but I you can do. go in theory, you could go thinner than two and five eighths if the volume is placed elsewhere, right? And then in theory, sink the rail even more. Well, first of all, I'm not sure I want to sink the rail more because I want the rail to also come out of the turn. And thirdly, um, yeah, I'm not sure I want thinner rails. Like I want to be able to, I want to catch waves. Like to me, the, uh, what this all kind of comes down to is JS is having way more fun probably because he's catching more waves. And sadly, we're able to not stumble over our front foot as we stand up, which this is starting to sound like geriatric surf hour here, but um, that's an issue, man, for me, stumbling over the front foot. Thank God for yoga. Um, well, you're laughing at me inside. I can see you're, you're oh, just no, like, no. No, I mean, <laughs> it's okay I, if you are. I don't mind. Well, I'm not sure. I don't fully agree with you. Like, uh, I've you surf well. I don't remember. I'm not sure what you're talking about, stumbling over your front foot. Like, do you, just, are you actually talking about you having a hard time getting your foot plant your front foot planted? No, the front foot gets planted, but there's, it's not, uh, a, occasionally later in the session, as I get more tired, the front foot kind of drags its way up to the front. And so it's not always a super clean. I need a second to kind of, you know, yeah. restage my footing. Yeah, I do. I do know what you're talking about there. Then, um, I agree with you when it comes to volume though, I wasn't right. I think the volume metric is a newer metric. Uh, let's say the last 10 years, certainly with the, oh, advent, for sure. For sure. Yeah, certainly with the advent of, uh, shaping machines and shaping software. So I grew up not at all having any awareness of volume and I've always gotten boards, uh, custom and pretty much maybe mostly hand shaped. And so volume was never a factor that I ever considered. And that conversation started happening at probably in the amount of time that we've been doing this podcast. And it was always a fringe conversation to me that I never really took that seriously, or I just didn't put that much weight behind. And even still, I kind of feel the same way that you do. The range of boards that I'm riding is from 12 feet down to 510. And like you said, there's no way, like the volume conversation is irrelevant when you're talking about a glider. If you're only riding maybe grovel, your range is from groveler fish to groveler to high performance shortboard, then maybe you are looking to hit a certain volume each time with those boards. But otherwise, it's kind of a moot conversation. And again, I think to JS's point is if you are fluctuating at all in your diet and athleticism, then the volume should be fluctuating as well. That's, that's absolutely true. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, the, the volume, the volume as a means of measurement came from the sailboard, sailboard world. Um, okay. Sailboards were being made here. And of course, it, it still is a big thing in Europe. And when sailboarding kind of the industry left Hawaii and left California and left North America and went over to Europe and they started to mass produce them, they had already established this concept of of leaderage as a way to measure the volume of a board in Europe. And so it just, uh, that may, uh, that's probably not a word, but 
We got we got called out last time we used that. Leaderage. Leaderage. It's the new volume. That sounds like a that could be a t-shirt along, <laughs> along with surfers are the worst. I'm gonna have a t-shirt that says leaderage. It's the new volume. That's perfect. Rain, Rainbow sent us like 10, a list of 10 different words that he cobbled together from Americanisms. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what the word is, but the, it, yeah. we do know that it came from the sailboard building industry. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Well, this uh, leads perfectly into asking, what have you been riding? I've been riding solely that new Zephyr twin fin. It's 610. Oh, no, Sabre. Excuse me. The Sabre. Ryan Sakel shaped it for me. We've been working on this design and it's a 610. I think we talked about it. It's a twin fin. I did change the fins though. It's funny you mentioned this. I was talking to a guy. I was talking to Ricky Lash. I don't know if you know Rick Lash. Really good surfer. Was on the tour in the late 80s. Del Mar guy. And he and I have known each other since junior high school. And and I happened to cross his path surfing a couple of days ago. And he had a twin fin and I had a twin fin. And we were talking fins and he was and I told him I had taken the Rasta keel fin out of the saber, my 610 wing round pin saber. I'd taken the keel fin out and I put just the big standard, you know, MR size T1 future twin fins in it. And I just figured I love this board with the keel. Let's try it this way. And I like it a lot more. Not a lot more, but I like it more with the standard twin fin in it. So that's what I'm riding. I'm riding the standard large twin fin T1 twin fin from futures in it. Yeah, dude, I agree with you. The mid-length twins, I've ridden two. The Torn Martin one and then Album loaned me a asymmetrical one, the Townsend model. And I agree with you, the upright large twins go yeah. magically in that. Yeah. yeah. What do you think it is? I, I don't know. I think there's probably a little bit more release. Um, again, at the risk of sounding like I know what I'm talking about. Um, it's more of a feel for me, but it feels like the bigger keel fins, you're getting a, a ton of drive, but I have a 610. I mean, I have a lot of rail in the water already. I'm getting a lot of drive. I can understand a keel fin on a 5.5 five where right. you, you might need some drive from the tail area, but I'm getting a ton of, I'm burying the rail. I don't need a ton of drive. Those T1s have plenty of, they're, they're pretty big. Yep. Those, those upright twin fins are big anyway. So I'm getting tons of drive from the fin. And of course you're going to get more release. There's just not as much fin area in the water. So you're going to be able to kind of take the board from one rail and put it onto the other rail a little bit quicker. Perhaps there's a little bit more sensitivity there. And so I think that's what it is. So is it safe to say that um, the longer board you have, the longer, the more kind of less fin area, I would suggest, but more upright fin. Um, Potentially. Yeah, of course. You know, that's a big generalization. Every board's different, right? Um, yeah. How thick the tail is has a lot to do with it. You know, how thick I the entire rail is, frankly. How you keep the rail buried. You know, if you can't keep the rail buried, that means it's popping out, which means you need to get the drive out of the tail area or, or and or the fin because you can't so, keep the middle part of the rail into the water. So more base on the fin in that yeah. case. You yeah. Want more. On the that's where you're going to get your drive, right? We need to get our drive. It needs to push against something. It's either going to push against the rail or the fin. Of course, in both, in all cases, both the rail and the fin. Well, so um, in that series that Stab is doing on Noah Dean, the Stab in the Dark series. Yeah. Actually, 
they're the one that they're doing with Noah Dean is the electric acid surfboard test. Right. So it's a little less conventional surfboards. But anyways, they're uh, as I've spoken about previously, they're releasing little segments of the film, interviewing each of the shapers that built a board for Noah. And yeah. a week or two ago, they released the piece with Matt Biolis. Yeah. And Matt Biolis made him a non-twin fin. It's a twin fin, but it has a trailer center fin in the back. And basically insisted when you give this board to Noah, make sure that he rides it with a trailer fin. Well, Noah looked at the board and he's like, no, this is like a twin fin. I'm going to ride it as a twin fin. So he took it out and wrote it as a twin fin and the thing fully bogged. And um, it's, so this is, you know, what I like about this series is lots of times they just show the best clips in this series. You learn from watching it. So you watch him take that board out, and ride it as a twin and the thing you can see exactly that it has it's kind of spinning out it doesn't have it it doesn't really have it just looks super loose like the tail's fishy essentially and matt biolis so they cut to matt biolis and he goes yeah if you took the back fin out of mick fanning's world title winning 510 thruster fanning would say that the board sucks you know and so this little thing matters so then it shows Noah having an epiphany and going, hey, I'm going to put that trailer fin back in. And all of a sudden, Noah's ripping on the board. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll let before I finish. Well, what's kind of interesting to me about that, because I did watch this, is the backstory between Noah and Mayhem, which I didn't know existed. But apparently there's no love lost between the two probably based on some things both of them said. They're both sort of outspoken personalities. And um, I found that to be kind of fascinating, this concept that Noah, if Noah had known, and maybe I'm getting this wrong, but I sense that th that Stab was setting, up, setting it up like, if Noah had known that Matt Biolas had a board in this thing, he wouldn't have ridden it. That's how much sort of animosity that there was between the two. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into that. And apparently, I'm sure that's water under the bridge now. They're probably, you know, more or less getting along. I don't know, but I found that, piece to the puzzle to be the most fascinating part of this you know like it helped to sort of put an umbrella around the rest of him riding that twin fin or that you know two plus one yeah i saw that title for that piece but i didn't read into it any i didn't actually read the article itself and i didn't read comments like i have no idea what they were referencing um, but I did see that title also. Yeah. I think Matt might've called out Noah and then Noah that called makes out. Sense. You know, yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, that's just sort of the world we live in. And, um, and, and I, I think it's all kind of top level superficial, um, you know, not too much weight to be put into that. I, I'm, I'm sure they both respect each other's, um, talents. Well, one thing that I also kind of, an epiphany that I had was, I actually, uh, there's an element, Noah Dean is such a good surfer. And when Dane Reynolds did this electric acid surfboard test, he's such a good surfer, but they ride all of the boards like they're thrusters. And I would argue, who am I to say, but I would argue they're surfing them wrong. Like that the most successful version of this experiment that Stab's been doing was Stephanie Gilmore's. Stephanie Gilmore would stand up and let the board kind of find trim and go where the board wanted to go and then surf the board appropriately. And so each board that she rode, she rode differently. 
Whereas I feel like every board that Noah Dean gets on, he's trying to do the exact same surfing that he does on his high performance thruster. And it's impressive when he does a air reverse on a bonzer fish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's also not doing the board any, not doing the board justice. I, you absolutely nailed it. And it's not just Noah. When I watched the Dane Reynolds one too. Um, Dane was the could, worst. Dane was like, just trying to surf it. Like, well, just like you said, I'm not going to repeat what you said, but you absolutely nailed it. They're not really giving the board its due. I mean, certain boards aren't meant to do tail blow, you know, gaffing hacks at the top, you know, like, like look at Torrin Martin. If you were to grab Torrin Martin's board and go, Dane, ride this thing. And he started trying to surf it like he would surf his, you know, whatever, his yeah. 510 dumpster diver. It's just kind of, like you said, it does a disservice to the surfboard design. You well, know, Dane, and, I, and I think guys make boards are like, okay, Noah Dean, he's going to want to do aerial. So let's, and, and, and so what you get is sort of this, this shrinking of the cool, the coolness of the concept, which is all of these different boards. Now they're all trying to be as outside of the box as they can be with still being inside the box and Noah Dean's box so that he'll do an aerial and make the shaper look good by being the board that he likes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the Dane Reynolds example I remember really well that there was a couple of hull designs in that piece and he was clueless as to how to ride them. And so he would try to lean the lean it on rail and the board would just be tracking and he wouldn't be able to tip it. And then he'd like fall over and then come in and complain about the board. And it's like, <laughs> no, dude, are you kidding me? And also he's pretty savvy. Like he knows about surfboard design, but probably just in a very narrow window. He knows about high performance surfboard design is probably what it is. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, those, it was frustrating those, to watch. Yeah, it was. And, and, and I get the frustration too. You know, it's like, look, this isn't how I surf. Like there's a reason I ride a 510 dumpster diver because I surf like this. And a hull specifically is a super difficult board to ride. It has a very, and again, I'm not a hull rider. I, you know, I don't want to step on any because the hull fanatics are sort of a, they're sort of cult like. So I don't want to piss anybody off. But, you, but you I'm gonna. Those, you have those Andrini gliders, right? Aren't those yeah. hulls? Yeah, they have they have hull qualities, but but they're they're sort of a mixture. You know, okay. they've like got a. a, a a full displaced nose, but they're a little bit flatter in the back. But anyway, the, the, the whole window, like the window of, of where you can go with the board and what the board's meant to do is it's pretty narrow. I would suggest to you like the hull's not made to do aerials or to do massive six no. o'clock, 12 o'clock top turns. No, it's made to just fly down the line at some Baja point break that, requires all the speed in the world. And the more, the more bottom turns you do, the faster you go, you know, like they're just like this point A to point B type of design. Yeah. You know, from making it from second point through to the pier at Malibu or something, you're going to ride a hull and that's the, that board's going to get you the speed to make sections that you never thought you could make. But certainly not, you know, as we mentioned, a six o'clock to 12 o'clock top turn type board. Totally. Um, it's, almost underselling it. Like I, what do you, what do you like about the whole design? I don't want knowing that it has that narrow window of kind of applicability or user what you would do on it. It almost makes it feel like 
for anybody who's interested in the design, like, oh, well, why would they go and invest in this expensive surfboard if it only does this narrow thing? Is there any element about the design that you like or what is the sensation that you get that you like about it? Well, first of all, I'm not, I'm not the, an aficionado regarding this design at all. I'm, I'm more on the Dane Reynolds side of things. Um, as far as my, what I, you know, the way I surf and the places that I surf, I just, I don't surf, you know, waves around here that require me to haul ass from point A to point B over a 200 yard section, you know? Yeah. Um, well, so I, you know, I, in fact, I, I don't even think I've ever really ridden a haul. I might've, you know, I don't think I've, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think here. Well, I have limited experience, but for listeners who don't know what the design is, think of a boat hull. It sits in the water and rather than gliding across the top of the water. So most modern surfboards that you're riding basically are designed to skim across the water surface. The whole design sits in the waters down in the water and actually is drawing energy from under the wave essentially. So whenever, I don't know if you've body surfed and you've felt that, pull from under the wave and even behind the wave. And when you see dolphins swimming in a wave, they're actually not breaking the surface of the water. They're kind of driving from that energy that's inside of the wave. That's kind of what the hull is tapping into. And so it's a totally different sensation than gliding along the surface of the water. Um, and so the most significant experience I had was I borrowed a hot curl from Josh Martin years ago. So the hot curl that's major hole design with no fin. And I surfed it at Rencon, like a small day at Rencon. And I was fighting the thing a lot of the time because I was trying to make adjustments on the board. But once I figured out that I just need to get to just stand up on the board, the board will settle into a position on the wave just naturally. It'll just kind of slide and slink into a position, trim basically, and then shoot like an arrow down the line as fast as possible. Like it is just locks into a zone so much so that one, when the wave, if, and when the wave peters out, you continue on that same path tracking after the wave, like in complete flat ocean, you know, like yeah. completely. And so feeling that level of sensation or feeling that sensation is completely unique to gliding on the top of the wave like tapping into that. And it's a blast. It's like super duper fun. Yeah. So you're never going to turn the thing. And and so the kind of Andrini's that you're writing are drawing off of that principle, but then they're building in elements of the design that actually allow you to do turns. But because the whole entry, you're never going to get the thing vert. You're going to maybe like gain a lot of that speed and then do a half cutback and a down carve and then try to adjust that into a bottom turn. So you're, you're getting kind of a little bit of the fun of maneuverability, but you're still drawing off of that energy that's coming from that, that dolphin place, you know? Yeah. That's a so. great apt description. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to show you these fins though, that we talked about last week. You've seen the, this design, right? The C drive. Are those You've features? Seen no, they're, uh, oh yeah, that's. That's the right. NVS, NVS yeah, fans. Yeah, the night, the um, naked Viking. Naked Viking, yeah. Those the, are cool. So the design was developed by Troy Clutton of CNC Fin Design, but 
Maurice Cole has been like a big advocate for him and like, can you hold working. it up again for me? I want to take another peek at it. Yeah. Wow. That's so the base. The base is really long, essentially. Yeah. Got a keel fin base. Keel fin base, but then a huge cutout where, it, which is why it has the C draw, C in yeah. the name, yeah. is it looks like a C. The back of the fin is cut out deeper than a normal fin. Yeah. And then the, the tip is still like a normal thruster fin. So you, the idea being you get all the drive from the long base, but because of this giant cutaway and the still stiff tip, you get a lot of maneuverability. The cutaway removes a bunch of surface area, and then the foil is so fine they remove surface area kind of from the thickness of the fin as well. Um, but you get a lot of maneuverability because there's all that surface area removed and then the tip is still really stable and rigid. So the idea is you get tons of drive, but you don't sacrifice maneuverability at all. Yeah. And they sent me some of these, I put them in a board, I think like two or three weeks ago and I haven't taken them out other than to show you. And they're so they make those twin fins. So they make those in the big twin fin. Cause that seems like that would be the perfect solution to what we were talking about earlier, you know, between a, a keel and a, a straight up big MR style twin fin. They do. They make them in thrusters that are large, medium and small. And then they make a twin that comes with a stabilizer. So you could run it without the stabilizer and just put the two big fins in. But I'd like, game those. I'd like to see the twin ones. They're sure game they changer. Website, right? Yeah, I'll send them. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. It's surfnvs.com. Um, but they're a game changer, dude. I honestly can't find fault in them. And I've only ridden them in one board yet. But it's like they feel like driving little like even little like adjustments that I'll make. Maybe when I stand up at the top of the wave or something, just like a little ankle adjustment projects the board forward. Like I'm feeling drive in ways that I haven't felt before, but then when I'm so basically more speed period, but then when I'm going to do turns, the turns feel sharper and more tact, like more tack sharpness and more speed through the turn than I'm used to having in fins. They just feel like an all round game. I haven't found deficit in them. So this is not a paid advertisement, but I'm a huge fan. I'm looking at the, the twin fin now. I just pulled up the website. So yeah, I might, I might have to uh, invest in a set of these for sure. Game changers. Cool. Well, I have a hard out, but I have a bunch of stories, but I kind of got to get going. Wind's coming up. <laughs> oh, dude, listeners are not going to be a fan of that. We got to do Duke and Kook and Must See. Oh, for sure. No, no, I, I, I got time here. All right, what do you got? Duke, Kook, Must See moment. Where do we go? Well, look, my... I know that our musty moment is also my kook, right? So, because I know it's, and you it's know what it is. Yeah. yeah, it oh. is. I mean, it, it's it's mind blowing, right? This this surfer in Sydney who apparently is a um, adult learner. Um, he refuses to basically accept defeat. He attempts to jump off the rocks during a massive Sydney swell that hit last week, and um, he just gets absolutely annihilated. But he keeps going back for more, like like Rocky. And once he does make his way into the water, you realize, oh my God, this guy doesn't even know how to paddle. Like it's, it's, right. it's kind of mind blowing how, um, how naive this person is. And, and it's kind of scary. It does get a little bit scary there when you're like, okay, this guy is going to drown. 
the dude's trying to jump off the rocks into the surf and he gets blown up, I'd say seven or eight times. And the first one, the first four, he doesn't even jump off the rock. He's standing on the rock and the wave hits him and just blows him back further onto the rocks. But we've seen kook slam videos by the thousands. So not a lot can really affect us. This one takes the cake by a country mile. Like even the first wave that blows him back, you go, oh, that was gnarly. Like that was a proper gnarly, like, you know, failed rock jump attempt. And then he comes back and it happens again. And then he comes back and each one, they're not progressively worse, but each one individually is like gnarly enough to set any mortal human being down, which makes me think the dude was on drugs. He had yeah, to. There was, there was a, yeah, there was something inside of him, a determination that was abnormal. <laughs> and his board had to be smashed to pieces. Exactly. I mean, the guy's just getting blown up completely. So I'd be shocked if listeners haven't seen it. I think 20 different listeners sent it to us. Yeah. So um, if you haven't yet seen it, Scott and I will both post it on spitpodcast.com and on Instagram. Uh, it is shockingly entertaining. When I saw that the length of it was five minutes or whatever, I was like, dude, there's no way I'm going to sit through this. And I found myself wrapped, completely yeah. captivated. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. And the commentary from the people on the cliff taking the video is fascinating because they're laughing at him, they're laughing at him, and then they're kind of going, God, this guy's a nut. And then they're going, uh-oh, I'm seriously like scared for this guy. Totally. Totally. Um, my Duke is – he's been the Duke a number of times, but he still earned it this week. Mason Ho for consistently putting out A-plus content. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a neck, it's a kind of neck and neck battle or race between him and Dane Reynolds for whose videos I'd be more interested to watch when something comes up in the week. I don't know which one I'm going to click play on first, but Mason Ho, I mean, it's so entertaining. The surfing that he does is so entertaining. This latest video is of him surfing this crazy reef where there's, uh, sharp, jagged lava rock that is completely over, you know, you can see it's not just right below the surface. A lot of it is above the surface. And he somehow narrowly and deftly dodges near death. Like the speed that he's going at, if he fell and hit his head on any of those, he'd be in the hospital. He'd have significant head trauma be yeah. bleeding everywhere, not only bleeding because of the sharpness, but he would suffer proper like blunt force trauma and be in the hospital. It's gnarly that he doesn't get more hurt than he, and that he doesn't get hurt period. I know it's, it's, it's a testament to his youth. Well, it, it defies youth. Like I, I think I, I'm scared to say that we might see him in the hospital at some point because you can't run the numbers like you can't avoid it. Eventually, it's going to happen. And when you're looking at the beach angle, you think that there's an optical illusion happening, that the rocks are in the foreground and they're not nearly as close as they look like they are. But he shoots GoPro footage of it. And he is <laughs> barely threading the needle by millimeters at times. It's gnarly. Yeah, he, he's mind blowing. It's and he, and you're right. His content's fascinating. You you can once you watch one, you can easily get lost in like five different episodes. And he surfs great. Yeah, he just I, surfs I love so good. Yeah, I'm a big fan. 
Um, my kook is, I mean, our despite, our, despite our moral, Memorial Day um, salvo that we opened the show with, my kook is the military kids <laughs> from Schofield Barracks. Oh. Did you see this? No. So Jason Magalanis uh, posted this on Instagram. I think a couple other people posted it as well. And I'll just read the quote and then I'll explain the imagery. It says, quote, so yesterday, apparently the Schofield Barracks, which is the military base in the middle of Oahu, uh, let out a bunch of animals acting like degenerates and leaving a trash mess in their wake. Look, I know the three month lockdown was long and frustrating and I have the utmost respect for the ones that protect and serve, but this is unacceptable. Yeah, come to our beaches and enjoy, but pick up your trash when you leave. Do our beaches look like a trash can and do you, or do you expect someone else to pick up after your sorry asses? The level of ignorance is unfathomable. How would you feel if assholes went to your hometown and trashed it? This shit might fly where you're from, but here on our sacred beaches, this level of disrespect is incomprehensible and disgusting." End quote. And he posted a slide of images and videos. The first is people partying on the beach in Waimea. Like it is, you know, uh, I don't know what, 4th of July at Lake Havasu. Like pure pandemonium partying, which is all fine and good. Have a good time. But then the next couple of images are what was left behind from that partying. And it's everything from beach chairs and umbrellas that were just left behind and discarded to... Miller Lite cans tucked into the sand, trash food bags and wrappers left in the sand. It honestly looked like like a complete, like the fairgrounds after the fair leaves or something like that. Just complete trash strewn everywhere. And look, I live and grew up in Southern California, so I'm exposed to this. And I almost take it in Southern California without even being that bothered by it because I just feel like there's so many transients here and we're used to it. But there's something about seeing Hawaii and how pristine Hawaii is and the level of, it, it was just extra offensive by seeing it in Hawaii. It was like, yeah. and so what it is, is these military kids who have been on quarantine for three months who have probably come from middle America, they're 18 or 20 years old and they've never, maybe they've never been to the beach before, whatever, partying their heart out and just leaving all their trash in their wake was really, really egregiously offensive, more so than I've seen at my local uh, beaches. So kooks are the ones who have uh, litterers in general and disrespecters of the beach in general, but this was a particularly egregious case. Yeah, well, good choice. That's really lame. And I, I commend you for your choice. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Okay, well, we're an hour Scott and needs to surf. <laughs> Scott needs to surf, everybody. The wind is coming up. <laughs> so I've got tons of stories for next week. It'll be good. Good, because we're going weekly now, so we need them. Every week. Uh, until next time, David, adios and aloha. Well, it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, baby Even you don't know by now And it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, baby It'll never do somehow When your rooster crows at the break of dawn 
Look out your window and I'll be gone You're the reason I'm traveling on But don't think twice, it's all right And it ain't no use in the turning on your light, babe The light I never knowed And it ain't no use in turning on your light, babe I'm on the dark side of the road But I wish there was something you would do or say To try and make me change my mind and stay But we never did too much talking anyway Don't think twice, it's all right So it ain't no use in calling out my name, gal Like you never done before And it ain't no use in calling out my name, gal I can't hear you anymore I'm a thinking and a wondering, walking down the road. I once loved a woman, a child, I am told. I give her my heart, but she wanted my soul. But don't think twice, it's all right. So long, honey, baby, where I'm bound, I can't tell. Goodbye is too good a word, baby, so I just say fairly well. I ain't saying you treated me unkind, you could have done better, but I don't mind. You just kind of wasted my precious time. Don't think twice, it's all right.